podcast is intended for information on educational purposes only, not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple credible sources. Cross reference wormlet your almost accurate hypothesis. Evans can support always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the actual PT podcast, where actual problems meet actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flocken. Hello, actual PT Nation. Here we are, Taylor Flockin' Boy and That's Troy me. Lind rocking with you. <laughs> How are we doing, Taylor Flockin' Boy? Oh, it's an outstanding, beautiful day today. I am uh, looking to go for a hike uh, here a little later. Yeah, going a little walk there. Chip. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, 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 what do we need to, to walk? We need our knees. And, we uh, need knees. You need your knees. Uh, we need the bee's knees. The bees of the knees, Chuck. We need the bee's knees. We need those knees to work well. And uh, once we start having some birthdays, the knees sometimes don't work as well. Ain't that right? That's a fact. If you uh, use them a lot, as you age, they get worse. Yeah. And um, so, what do you do whenever they start uh, getting real bad? Stop, start making you, uh, you have change your life. cut you apart and replace them. Rip Build you back. Pieces. Build you back stronger, faster, better. As we said, this podcast is coming at you sponsored by RoboCop. RoboCop. <laughs> you, you making up sponsorships now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did, I did yeah. Uh, yeah, and we are talking about the total knee replacement or uh, arthroplasty, arthroplasty, if you haven't caught on yet. Or TKA for short in the medical world. Yep, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I see more TKA than total replacement, or even just knee replacement. Yeah, um, just yeah. TKA is a, kind of a common terminology that uh, we use a lot of. That's a fact. Yeah, yeah, so, um, I don't know, Troy, tell me tell me what this surgery is, what are they doing there? So in this surgery, they uh, it's actually extremely invasive. They uh, tear you apart, quite literally. They uh, open up the knee. They bend it, so it's usually bent during the operation, but basically imagine they cut the patella in half, hot dog style. Oh, hot dog. Hot dog they style. They hot dog the patella? They hot dog the patella. They so hot they, dog that kneecap they, real quick. They, they, let, me, let me hot dog style. The surgeons say that too. No, no, I don't want hamburger. I want hot dog. I want, I want, I want hot dog as in relation to the patient. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So they lop off the back half or the medial half, of the patella, lop that off, and they'll put replace that with a plastic edging or plastic bumper or whatever you want to say. Um, I've heard the word button used a time or two. Button? Okay, cool. I like yeah. that. I like that. Button. Um, and then they take the femur, the end of the femur, and they basically lop that off. They shave it down or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's different maneuvers, right? You can either just cut it or you can uh, buzz it down. But regardless, they lop off the very end of your femur. Replace that with a plastic portion that they hammer in with a mallet. And then, same thing with the tibia. They kind of shave down that, uh, the very top portion of that, or like the plateaus, if you know the medical terminology. And then they'll replace that with also uh, artificial parts. So basically, you have your entire knee joint, so the three bones connecting each other um, are all remade. They're all new. Brand spanking new. This sounds a lot more like carpentry than uh, <laughs> yeah. a surgery. Yeah, with a yeah. lot of mallets and a lot of bone saws and a lot of everything. And, you know, the crazy thing for me is, like, uh, looking at op reports and looking at, like, 
the time in and time out, like total surgery length. I mean, whenever a surgeon, they get really, really into it. I mean, they can be in and out like 45 minutes. I've seen some that are like, if it's like a partial, like 20 minutes. I believe that entirely. Well, I mean, you also have to think a lot of the prep work is already done. So some places they are, they'll have nurses, nurse pracs do the cutting. Mm. And the person's already opened up. The surgeon walks in, does the actual replacement of the joint. So, so there is... Uh, some sur- some of the ortho surgeons will even tell you that with regards to the actual procedure, a mm-hmm. monkey could do it because mm. it is so basic cookie cutter <laughs> from one to the other. Yeah. But the real the real important part is the the real fine tuning stuff. So making sure that the bony alignments are mm-hmm. right on for what the patient needs for mechanics. So right. So everyone is built a little different, right? Everyone has a little bit different tibial torsion mm-hmm. or uh, you know angles at the hip, stuff like that. And right. so to get that perfectly right for each patient is that's where the the skill, the artistry comes into it. That's where you start to see. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start looking at outcomes for top five, top ten surgeons, ortho surgeons in the country, mm-hmm. that's what they're that's what they make their bread and butter on. They kind of nine times out of ten hit it out of the park with regard to the bony uh, architecture. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and I think uh, I don't know. This is just like a little fun fact that a lot of people don't know. Is I like um, fun facts. I like fun facts. I, like fun um, facts. I uh, know that like prior to the patient getting up, and most patients, whenever are told this, are pretty surprised. The surgeon bends the knee every which way to make sure it uh, it's running good, and that's really yeah, kind of going like into that artistry. Table, yeah, while they're on mm-hmm. the table, yeah, um, they will uh, bend them a whole every which way just to make sure everything's mm-hmm. lined up well, make sure everything is going the way it should be uh, before uh, yeah, before patients uh, allowed to wake up. Now, whether or not the knee is still open or not, I don't know about that, but yeah, I, I would, I, yeah, I don't know. I do know that uh, surgeons will uh, do that just to make sure. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's like when you replace the oil in your truck, you're going to take it for a lap before you drive across country. No, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got to take it for a little test drive. Take it for test drive. there. Got to test drive that knee. So who's who's getting this, Taylor? I I explained one thing. So are you going to explain anything yet for the people? I was kind of hoping that you could just kind of carry the team today. (laughs) Um, Well, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer that. So patient selection for this is... Pretty important um, in terms of like long term outcome. Yeah. Um, ideally, this is going to be done on a person who is very active. Um, they these are people who do the. You get a joint replaced because you want that joint to be moving, and active people move a lot. Um, sure. I, also, ideally, um, a person with a reasonably healthy weight that tends to go a long way. The knee is one of those few joints that seems to be very heavily impacted by a person's weight. Um, and I believe, uh, we were looking at that, uh, APTA, uh, CPG in, yes, in regards yes, to that. Yes. It's actually entitled, if you wanted to look it up, physical therapy management of TKA, uh, which is a clinical practice guidelines via the APTA and Diane U. Jet at all. They actually yeah. reference that it is very important to have a lower BMI. Yeah. With yeah. regards to outcome. And, um, you know, kind of the sad thing about this is uh, some surgeons simply do not select patients very well. Well, and I understand some can't, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you don't, I mean, someone has to do the surgery to improve this person's quality of life. But I guess some to, to kind of, to kind of jump off of what you said or piggyback off what you said, a lot of them need to put more uh, value or more Mm -hmm. emphasis on weight loss prior yeah. to agreeing to do the surgery. 
Yeah, as well as like being active. Um, I mean, some just type think of, of a one uh, to four rule. Let's think about the what? The one to four rule. One pan, one pound around the weight equals four pounds. Oh, on the knee. yeah, yeah. And think about that. I mean, if if they're gonna do the replacement, and then you have mm-hmm. twelve weeks of rehab after. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be better to to lop off sixteen, you know, four times as much weight mm-hmm. that you lose around the waist around the knee. Yeah, no, uh, it, and it would sometimes be uh, kind of sad. Like I unfortunately have seen some pretty questionable um, candidates for the surgery, like post op, yeah. and um, you, part of like what's tough for the therapist job at that point is not only are we dealing with the pain of a very invasive surgery, as you were uh, describing mm-hmm. earlier, but you're also dealing with the fact that this person's likely very deconditioned. Mm-hmm. Um, they are mm-hmm. not going to be able to walk as far as they need to to give that input to that bone for it to heal well. Um, also, because walking is going to be putting a lot more force through that knee, through that joint, they're going to be more sore. They're going to have more yeah. pain, getting range of motion down. Um, there's a lot of things that are uh, pretty important in regards to weight. Um, and that isn't the case for, you know, every orthopedic thing in the body. But uh, the knee and the knee replacement, I think this is one where we really need to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. And most people are usually, I mean, think about it. They're usually self-limiting. For sure. Leading up to this, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. getting a knee replacement for a reason, right? Because it's painful. Yeah. You can't do what you want to do. Yep. So you have been, I mean, I hear this all the time. We're going to get into, you know, like my side of the rehab thing of the rehab mm-hmm. process, but I see this all the time in my patients. They'll mm-hmm. talk to me and just be like, look, I just haven't, I've been limiting myself for months leading up to this. So I'm yeah. not nearly as good a shape as I need, as mm-hmm. I should have been at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and back uh, more so where I'm from, like in the Deep South, uh, I mean, there are people, I, I've been part of the evaluation process where a person says they haven't walked 100 yards in years. Yeah. And then, and now we're tasked with getting them going. Now we're tasked with getting them moving and rolling again. Yeah. 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 yeah so um, down there, I feel like you see a lot of, this is a, just a side note, but I see, I mm-hmm. feel like situations like that, that's where the bilateral knee replacements come in a lot. The people that have waited 15 years too long to get their replacement. And now both knees are so jank that they're both just as limiting in the rehab process. So you might as well just do both at the same time. Yeah. And the bilateral knee replacement, I think it's becoming less common. I don't have any numbers for that. It's far less common. But But I I know I've only seen a couple in my day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my day hasn't been very long, obviously, at the age of 29. But um, just between... People I see in the clinic, as well mm-hmm. as uh, friends that I know that have gotten it, or family members, it's always those people where exactly what I said. Like both knees are so bad mm-hmm. that their outcome for each knee mm-hmm. isn't going to change, regardless of if they got one knee or two. Because if yeah. they got one knee done and not the other, so the limited. uninvolved knee is so painful. There, it's limiting the rehab they can do on the good knee. Yeah. So at that point, you might as well just do both and just do it both at the kind same of, time. Yeah. Kind of roll the dice and tell the person they need yeah. to be on it with their rehab. Yeah, which they never are. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, if they've let it go this long, chances are that's going to be really hard Correct. to inspire. But um, and I, I think I feel like nowadays um, surgeons are pri- primarily for like a double knee replacement. They're looking for... Kind of what I described earlier, an extremely active person, person in really good shape, yep. who is at a healthy weight, and who knows how to get after it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you go down the rabbit hole for 
you know, we can go all, spend all day on just the surgical side of things like, yeah. like the decreased risk of infection, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, there's a huge list that surgeons look at for education, like stop, like not mm-hmm. smoking, no diabetes, um, yep. at, like you said, active, low BMI. And then mm-hmm. you get into the nitty gritty, like, oh, don't get a, you're not going to go to the dentist for three or six months before or after surgery. Yeah. You're not going to, not going to shave within 48 hours of surgery and any kind, you know, just, yep. there's so many things we can go down the rabbit hole, but the, you know, surgeons really do look at this list mm-hmm. because it really does affect, inf- affect infection rates, which yeah. is hugely important, which we're going to get into soon. But Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about, um, inf- you know, infection now, or do you want to kind of get into stuff after the surgery? Um, that this might be a good place for the infection stuff. Yeah, I mean, as long as you've covered the selection of patients, I mean, I think we, like we said, to them in a perfect world, and some surgeons are this way. And I mean, we knew a surgeon came and spoke to us mm-hmm. in West Virginia. Yeah, a really good surgeon. He said he's very, very picky about who he'll, who he'll do joint replacements on because mm-hmm. it's his license, right? And it's his, yeah, it's his uh, whatever I want to say, street cred. It's mm-hmm. his outcomes that he has to look at. Yeah. So if he if they don't meet these criteria, he won't do it. Yeah. And and you know, I think that is fair because the expectation is that the patient is going to be able to accomplish the therapy that like it's feasible. Yeah. Um yeah. and I mean the last thing a surgeon wants to do is a uh, little uh, manipulation or mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. things of that nature or yeah. or revisions. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say is most I mean if you've cuz you've been in acute care for a while too yeah. for your clinicals and I mean, think about all the revisions that you've seen in your day. Mm-hmm. How many were obese? Yeah. How many were overweight, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't see very many revisions with these high, really active athletes or really active people coming mm-hmm. in. Don't get me wrong. You might see some some revisions because of infection, right? Sure. But all revisions, even in the infection ones, usually mm-hmm. occur with people that are high BMI that I've seen yeah. at least. Well, it's anecdotal, yeah. of course, but. And this is uh, definitely a vicious cycle because high BMI directly related to um, problems with the knees. Yeah, and yeah, Os- exactly. Early onset of osteoarthritis, yep. um, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, which is also uh, in the CPG APTA CPG saying that mm-hmm. it just straight up states that a higher BMI is associated with worse outcomes, and higher yeah. comorbidities are associated with workout, worse outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we can get into it. So, um, yeah, yeah. A little, a little infection stuff. Yeah. So, uh, with regards to, so we're kind of moving into PT right after surgery, right? So what does it look like day of surgery, day after? So this is kind of my wheelhouse since I'm inpatient. This is what I deal with. Mm-hmm. So the nice part about this episode is we kind of get all, we kind of get to cover all, all the bases. Yeah. All the bases, the full spectrum of care, because mm-hmm. You know, my inpatient, that's what I do day in, day in and day out is inpatient rehab. So I get to see them day of surgery up until discharge from the hospital. Sometimes I'll see them home health um, before they go on, but usually they go straight to outpatient, which Taylor will be covering um, in agnosium soon. Um, but yeah, so day of surgery, not for lately or what the new standard of practice is is day of surgery we want you up and walking as much as you can tolerate quite literally yeah i mean within our goal is within one hour of you being on the floor which means you you got out of the er for whatever process right and you've made it back to your hospital room our goal is within an hour you're up and walking Mm -hmm. and it usually takes about that for the nerve block to to wear off and and we can also get into nitty-gritty about 
nerve blocks and all that. Like, uh, like yeah. best standard practice right now uh, for joint replacements is spinal anesthesia because mm-hmm. it has the least amount of side effects, least amount of nausea, and it stays in your system for approximately, I think they say, 26 days it's in your yeah. system. But that's far less than other stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah, and we can get into that. Obviously, you can go down a whole rabbit hole on that. But basically, like I said, within an hour, you're up and walking. Minimum, we want, want you walking like 300 feet. Um, is about, a football field. A football field is about what we want you walking minimum right after. Within an hour being on the floor, we're already up and moving. Mm-hmm. We're using the muscles, waking it up. And roughly, we want you walking several times throughout that first night, that first day after surgery. I mean, we yep. want you up and going probably four or five times doing walks. I mean, we want you cr- crushing it, going on it right out the yep. bat, which is hugely different than it used to be. Hugely, hugely. I, I mean, uh, probably like uh, maybe close to like 20 years ago, I mean, you would chill in bed. Yeah, literally. You would just chill. You're just sitting in bed. And a lot of times they keep you, keep you in the hospital for like a week sometimes. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and that's changed a lot too. Yeah, now they want you out because they want you in out. They want you uh, returning to function as soon as possible. Well, and plus, a hospital is a great place to get an infection. <laughs> yeah, it really is, yeah. especially in the United States of America, which <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But um, yeah, so that's the day of surgery, right? The next morning, so the way we do it at uh, Old St. John's Health here in Jackson, Wyoming, which we are—if you didn't know this, Taylor—I think I've already said this before—but we are we were rated the number one. Hospital in the country of 100 beds or less. Do you know that? Oh, I did not. That's a quick, that's impressive. Yeah, quick little humble brag. And a lot of that's with our joint replacement program, which yeah. is phenomenal. And in our program, like I said, the next day, standard practice now shows that you need to be going. You need to be moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the CPG, uh, APTA CPG guideline said, well, CPG guideline, it's guideline twice. Anyways, yeah. It states that um, you want PT intervention within 24 hours minimum. Like, that's the latest mm-hmm. onset. You should have interaction with physical therapy following the mm-hmm. joint replacement. And yeah. at St. John's, we do it within, I mean, eight hours. I mean, the mm-hmm. next morning at 9 a.m., you're up and moving. You're doing exercises. You're walking. Mm-hmm. You're stretching. That's also in the CPG guideline. You want to be doing stretching of that knee within 24 hours. Yes, you do. Um, and so... And we, but they also the the I'd, I'd even argue the bigger portion, the most important portion of activity, or at least equal to the activity, is the education of what we were just talking about with with uh, infection risk mm-hmm. and stuff of that nature. So what we're talking about infection risk is individuals knowing that you know you're going to have pain, right? And we always tell people immediately following a joint replacement, you usually don't have that much pain because you have a nerve block. But mm-hmm. the f- days to come, the pain gradually increases and yes, increases and increases. But after about a week or two weeks, sometimes, I mean, depending on the person, it starts to come down. The pain will start to come down. Mm-hmm. But if you get a drastic increase in pain, like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's been in the eights, it's been in the six out of 10 pains with activity, but all of a sudden it's 10 out of 10 just sitting there. And mm-hmm. it's you start to notice swelling, redness, right. warmth, uh, discharge. Especially, but yeah, I was about to say very colorful discharge. Colorful discharge, yeah, because mm-hmm. usually you'll get some immediate. Obviously, right, you're going to have some immediately after surgery. You just yeah, got yeah, torn torn to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have some form of discharge usually from the wound site, but we're talking several weeks after. It's pussing. It's green. Yeah, it's angry. It's red. It's pa- it's painful. All this stuff. That's usually a high. Um, it demonstrates infection. Very very. Uh, 
accurately. Yeah. Um, and then that's like worst. I'd say I'd argue that and DVT are the two worst case scenarios for mm-hmm. any re- replacement. Well, really any surgery, but replacement. Yeah. Well, and in particular, I mean, with especially with any surgery where some metal is being put into the body or yeah. like like any yeah. type of like artificial or something. Yeah, yeah. Any type of prosthetics being put in there. What happens is the bacteria, they will go to the surface of whatever it is, and then they will form what's called a biofilm. I'm talking about the biofilm. I'm talking about that biofilm. Yeah, I thought so. And the thing with this biofilm, it's it's literally kind of like that. It's a film, and the bacteria continue to reproduce underneath it. Drugs cannot... It's resistant. Uh, yeah, yeah, drugs cannot penetrate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only option in order to uh, literally save your leg is to take the replacement out, put in an antibiotic spacer for which... Which the, is like a concrete ball. Picture yeah. that. And every time you move and walk on it, it, ru- it wears down the ball a little bit, mm-hmm. which releases antibiotics. Yeah. I mean, and I've never seen like huge... Um, Weight-bearing or good weight-bearing precautions. It's normally it's non t- or toe-touch. Non or toe-touch. So, Which means you can't walk on that leg at all. You cannot no. put any weight through that leg. for, mm. And usually you're simultaneously undergoing antibiotics, usually IV yes. antibiotics. Heavy so antibiotics. You're, yeah, so you're, you're in the feeling hospital. terrible. Yeah, usually you're in the hospital for six weeks. Mm-hmm. IV antibiotics, you can't walk on that leg, and you're just going through it. <laughs> and... Which is also who I work with a lot. And, and, and now, especially since you're more in that setting, like how long do they have that antibiotic spacer in? Like, um, so, like I've heard of like in upwards of like three or even five months. I was going to say, I've heard up to, yeah, I've seen up to 15 weeks before easily. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on the infection, the cultures. Mm-hmm. So when he goes through, so when he takes the joint the joint out, usually what he, do, what he does is they'll take the joint out. And then they'll put the antibiotic spacer in, and that's just all they do. They close you up. Mm-hmm. They might cut out some of the it, cl- very clear infection, like some yeah, of the yeah, they'll the do pus that. and they'll stuff. Clean they'll, it, they'll clean that stuff wash up. Wash her on down the drain. They'll wash her on down the drain. And then they'll put a spacer in, and then they'll leave you and do high, high antibiotics, which we can do. And I'd like I'd like to do a podcast. We talked about this sometime, talk about gut microbiome and stuff like Ooh. that. The implications of high dose antibiotics on the system are horrendous. Your yeah. risk of C. diff and just GI issues for years to come is just through the roof. But anyways, that's for another day. And yeah, you'll be on, usually you're you're in the hospital, mm-hmm. in a skilled nursing facility usually, most of the time, because you're not yep. weight-bearing. And you'll be there for six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, I mean, whatever it is, right? Usually we see six to eight weeks for antibiotics. They usually mm-hmm. don't do more than that. But then... Like I said, then they do another culture. They're doing cultures throughout this process. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the eight-week mark, usually they do another culture. And I've seen some some people go home after six weeks, six to eight mm-hmm. weeks, and then can have to continue with the spacer and antibi- oral antibiotics for another month yep. before he'll even do the revision. Yeah. And then, yeah, then he'll go back in if he needs to and clean out again before he'll even do another before mm-hmm. he puts the real joint back in. And at this yeah. point, think about anything that was infected that continues to be infected at that point, he has to cut out. So yeah. we're talking we're talking muscle tissue sometimes. Yep. And, and ligaments. Well, and th- the other thing to think about, um, like orthopedically, what is going on during that time? I mean, scar tissue is oh, forming gosh. left and right. Muscles are atrophying. It, they're literally just wasting away. Yeah. And 
regaining that back is, I mean, it's, it's really, really rough. I think, uh, I think I told you this, um, some of the, uh, work done recently on like immobility. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah. Like a, uh, one week of bed rest will on average cost a person five pounds of lean muscle mass. Five pounds on the average size person. Isn't it like 10% per day, right? Your bed rest, isn't that like the statistic or something? That one, that one wasn't mentioned in this one. They, they went even like uh, more in depth with the numbers. I'd have to pull that, I'd have to pull that guy back up. But I mean, the fact, literally not the muscles and the joints, not getting that input, that compression with each step. I mean, our bodies are really uh, concerned about us starving to death. And by George, they're going to ensure you don't. Yeah. 100%. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yeah. So infection's a big deal. Infection's a huge deal. And then. As I referenced earlier, DVT is the other big one, or deep vein thrombosis. So a blood clot is mm-hmm. what everyone knows it as. So basically, when you're right out of surgery, usually following surgery, your risk of DVT, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they drastically increase. And it's usually because blood pools in the legs, like we talked about, if you're not moving and pumping that blood. That's why we use CPMs a lot, uh, like continuous passive movement machines that go around mm-hmm. your ankles. And they'll move your ankles for you. Um, oh, are you talking about the uh, SCDs? Oh, I'm sorry, SCDs. Yeah. No, not, not, CPMs. not CPMs. That's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a different, yeah. yeah. Uh, SCDs, yeah. So it just pumps your ankles, basically pumps the blood in the ankles for you. But uh, basically what you're looking at for DVT for risk factors are like kind of the same thing as you'd see in a infection, except it's in the calf. Think about the calf or the whole leg. Yep. It's swelling, redness, pain, warmth. Um, there's specific details, right? Like, what is it? Three, yeah, calf swelling greater than three centimeters compared yeah. to the uninvolved leg, entire leg swelling, pitting edema, um, stuff like that. So that's another huge one that you want to look at. Yep. And, you know, that's really the two main ones that I educate all my patients on in the hospital to kind of yeah. look out for because these are life-threatening things, right? These are things you need to address right away. Yeah, because um, that, that clot, once it breaks free, uh, likely to go to the old uh, to the old lungs. Yeah, yeah, and then you're really in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the we also found the, uh, so the Ohio State University, shout out, um, has a, all, their own clinical practice guideline, so it's called Total Knee Arthroplasty Post-Op Clinical Practice Guideline be at the Ohio State University uh, at Wexner Medical Center. Uh, so in that, they just talk about a couple other things that I guess, I mean, I guess we we address non-specifically, right? Because if this was this ever occurred, we would just call a surgeon anyways. But yeah. I guess it makes sense. So a mechanical block or a clunk, basically that's saying that, you know, there is an issue, right? Like there's an extra floating piece of something in the joint. There's something going on that hasn't been addressed. Uh the other thing is a lack of full knee extension by four to six weeks, which I kind of find comical because we yep. see a lot of troubled patients that don't reach that, uh, which, you know, we can talk about soon what that looks yeah, like. Yeah. And then the last thing is the assisted device required for ambulation after post-op week six, which I feel like we, even the troubled people usually kind of get to that more or less, but yeah, I mean, at least just in my practice, like an outpatient, like because the area is pretty good, I usually get people pretty quickly, um, same week as they have the surgery. I say most people are, they're kind of ditching the uh, gate devices, which is normally a walker. Yeah. Um, normally they'll ditch that by the end of week two, if not the beginning of week three, um, 
I, it's been a while since I've seen someone need to hold on to it for much longer um, than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking worst case, the, some of those revisions that we'll, that we talked, that we spoke yeah, of, you know, yeah. like stuff like that, you're going to have it because it's just worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. But, and then, uh, yeah. So overall goals prior to leaving the hospital, we're looking at, we want your knee to be able to bend to 90 degrees, which we'll talk about in further detail soon. Yeah. Um, and then basically not using CPMs as we referenced. Yeah. Not using the thing you told us that we, that we use use. a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so CPM, that just stands for continuous passive movement. Um, and it's honestly, it's kind of like this big contraption that your leg goes into and, the patient, they just relax, they just hang out, and this thing will bend their knee for them. Mm-hmm. And normally, um, this will be left on yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood of one, um, maybe even two hours, depending on the protocol. But they've really fallen out of favor. Um, they don't seem to offer, according to research, any long-term benefit over not using one. And they also, they tend to um, increase healthcare costs. Yeah. Um, I think it was like on average, like $300 a patient or something. I Yeah. I mean, I'd probably argue. And I mean, that, average, that, yeah. that, that, I'd, I'd argue that's just even, the hospital. Yeah, that's I'd, just the hospital. Yeah. I'd say I'd even argue higher because mm-hmm. you have to have people, you have to have someone to demonstrate to the patient, set it up on the patient, yep. uh, educate the patient mm-hmm. and sometimes even put it on and put it all, put them off them yeah. every time. Cause some people aren't able to or they they get confused or whatever yeah so i mean you're talking about every time you need somebody to contact the patient every time to put it on and off daily i mean that that adds and adds and adds and adds yeah for the patient's perspective yeah i will say though um i think for um some patients i think they can be helpful um, yeah, but, but, I think it's those troubled patients we were talking about, right? Yeah, it, is, like, like they've already had like a rough outcome yeah. on one side and, you know, because of like range of motion, for instance. Yeah. Uh, people who scar, who have demonstrated that they just scar uh, up really badly with uh, the tissue and it becomes really hard to regain range of motion for them. Yeah. Either that or maybe even a hyper pain patient, but I also yeah. would question why a hyper pain patient would have gotten a total knee arthroplasty. But, <laughs> yeah, true. But... Yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, CPMs, yeah, just not commonly used anymore, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, evidence shows that you should move your leg yourself, basically. Move it. Is the moral of the story. Yeah. Um, so I think we basically covered what it looks like in the hospital. So now, following what you've done in the hospital and how you were looking, that dictates where you go from here. So that means we can, yes. we as therapists or us at the ho- as hospital staff, discharge you either to one or two places we're talking either home health care therapy or mm. outpatient therapy yeah the there will be the occasional person who goes to inpatient but normally that's because they have complications um ideally those, those we, revisions we were talking about those, yeah. those really hyper pain patients yeah. yeah yeah people who literally just aren't moving um very well at all but um i think a lot of that kind of also goes back to uh, patient selection that sort of thing and that also i feel like it has a hand in this um for people who go to home health uh, these are going to be people who have significant issues with mobility um it takes a lot for them to be able to leave the house um it's also can be used for people who um, literally do not have a ride. Um, They cannot organize um, travel to outpatient. But 
At the same time, I think that if you're going to have this surgery, you should have kind of get all your ducks in a row, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You should be thinking about this um, prior to who's going to be taking me to my appointments. Yeah. Um, also, uh, patients who have home health, if they don't have the mobility to be able to be moving around, uh, it also makes me, you know, question just a little bit going back to patient selection. Mm -hmm. I, I keep uh, kind of driving home at that, but it, it's a big deal, big thing. What is also good to note that... Mm -hmm. uh, article that you found remember how it talked about not all patients need oh PT. yeah so i guess we forgot to say that there's a also a subgroup of group of people granted very very small yeah but there is a group of people that upon discharge they don't need either of these two yeah um they can actually go through an un um supervised exercise program uh I do think that, you know, at least check-ins, whether it's uh, through telehealth or even just like, I don't know, once every couple weeks or once every two weeks going into a PT just to check things like range of motion, making sure that's progressing well. Um, but yeah, there are some people who actually don't need that. That's what some interesting things research is showing. Yeah. And you found a systematic review, was it? Or was it just an article? Um, it, it was kind of a systematic review looking at a rehabilitation of both following. knees and hips following. Okay. Yeah. And for knees, it seems like, yeah, there is a subgroup of people they can do just fine uh, without it. But these are also kind of people who are usually very active. And, yeah. you know, the oh, little uh, getting your knee cu uh, cut up isn't going to stop them, you know. Yeah. When they, and it also, I think, is interesting that a lot of these people... I mean, you were seeing people having to transfer from that from the group of not needing PT to needing PT. That right? was in that, that article. Yeah, yeah, that was happening in the study, which likely influenced kind of some of the end results. They uh, just noticed like significant um, reduction of range of motion to where you might be in trouble if we don't start addressing this. Yeah, so you're gonna mm -hmm. have to be. Yeah, I mean, these are yeah, you're talking to people that are real go getters, people that yeah. are gonna be on top of every step of the way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not very common. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't know, I, I understand the want to try and reduce healthcare costs, but it's, I, I don't know that we have like a great way of identifying who those people are. I don't think so either. I think that's why in the Ohio, the Ohio State University CPG, it was, it straight up said as a recommendation, every single individual mm -hmm. should undergo PT because in the grand scheme of things, we're able to dis I mean, we're able to discharge, right? I mean, if you're doing exactly. if you're doing amazing and doing everything you need, I don't need to see it three times. We'll cut no. you back to two. You're still doing great. I'm going to decrease to one. You're still doing great. I'm going to discharge you early, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Discharge you early. Maybe have a follow up in two or three weeks. Just to make sure everything's good. Uh, you're happy um, with the outcome, and yeah. go from there. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like yeah. that idea of like PTs kind of like taking the. Yeah, uh, the reins there a little bit and deciding when's the best time to discharge for this person. Yeah, and then it's obviously it's on the PT to be ethical, right? Which yeah, that's, yeah, that is what it is. But as a patient, you can advocate for yourself anyways and say, I don't need this much PT. I only want to do two. I only want to do one time a week, you know? Patient has the right to choose, uh, choose their care. They have that right. Yep, yep. Um, um, so now... Have we addressed everything you wanted with regards to home health? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think we did. Um, the other option, and the option I think everyone should be uh, trying to get into as quickly as possible, outpatient. Yep, which is your wheelhouse there, Taylor that, Flocken. Yes. Dr. Taylor Flocken. 
Thank you, sir, uh, Dr. Troy Lind. Um, yeah, you wouldn't get there as quickly as possible if you have a total knee uh, replacement. This is uh, usually going to be a little bit more aggressive than home health. We also have access to other modalities that home health therapists don't normally do. Um, and inpatient. Yeah, and inpatient. Um, whether that is um, something as advanced as like a uh, body weight suspended uh, treadmill, um, I'll use that for patients for trying to hammer down uh, gait mechanics. Uh, yeah. You know, just imagine your weight being cut in half after having a uh, total uh, knee replacement and just how much easier it is to take a look at, oh, I'm doing that with my foot. I need to yeah. have more heel strength. We're able to see it too, right? Like yeah. You, oh, yeah. You yeah. have monitors that you can actually watch what your gait mechanics look like. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, 100%. That's what, what we have in our clinic. Um, also, uh, easier access to uh, uh, e which is also yeah. highly recommended by the uh, yeah. APTA. Uh Primarily not only for a little bit of pain control, but there's also for getting that quad to start firing normally again. The quads, they just love to take a vacation whenever a surgery happens. Yeah, I tell you what, it's like mm. that uh, radio, right? It, the body turns it down, they cranks it down, it's too loud for them, so they turn it down. Absolutely. Um, and typically in outpatient, we're kind of looking at a couple of different like functional goals. Um, this is... a. Uh, this one's kind of, uh, for me, like in my head, and we talked about this earlier, of like getting rid of uh, the assistive device. Um, I'm normally thinking by week two. I think uh, your Ohio... Um, the the Ohio, Ohio State, State Clinical Practice Guideline for Total Arthroplasties. Yeah. Uh, that one's recommended by week three. So, yeah. so, so somewhere in that ballpark. And I think it's good to note that... Uh, the the we we were just talking the the CPG from the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. I think it's just encompass everyone, right? I mean, like yeah. you said, it should be two weeks. Like, yeah, the goal of outpatient PT, the goal of the total knee arthroplasty is to return function to quote unquote normal as soon as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, the next one, um, being able to climb up and down stairs without handrails, step over step. Um, for some people, they may have not been doing this for months. Um, yeah. They may have already been kind of adapting. And it's, it's I always kind of like uh, broaching, uh, getting into this subject a little bit because I, I kind of tell pe- patients, you know, all right, this is where we get to break all the rules. Uh, no longer is it up with the good, down with the bad. We're going to go up with the bad and down with the good. Yeah, we're we're going to give that a shot. Yeah. yeah, and normally we'll start with something small, like a, you know, just a some couple couple inches of like an aerobic step, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and a lot of times I'll have people go up and down backwards. Um, going down backwards is oddly enough easier than going forward. Yeah, I see a lot of mm-hmm. – actually, I mean, this is a whole yeah, separate topic, but a lot of my patients and inpatient, like some of the older ladies mm-hmm. or older men that are just generally weaker, right? Like they yeah. don't have any knees or ankles issues. They're just weaker. They usually prefer going down backwards. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's just a little bit easier. It's a less of an extreme bend for the knee, which, if uh, people are having a little sensitivity with the range of motion, they tend to like that mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, but yeah, I'd like uh, people to three weeks is kind of like the goal I have in my head. If it ends up being four weeks, I'm not losing any sleep over it. But yeah, I think the Ohio State, the Ohio State University CPG said uh, it was either four or six weeks. I don't remember, but like I said, that's encompassing everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, the Ohio State CPG, they mentioned um, return to driving four to eight weeks. Yeah. Um, and big things for that, uh, we want to make sure you're not on, on the narcotics anymore. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, driving on oxy is not exactly a... Uh, <laughs> it's not recommended by uh, actual PT. No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Please don't do that. Um, also, uh, the driving step test, which I have not heard of that right. one, but I imagine no. that is like a patient being able to very quickly um, switch uh, their foot from one spot to another for um, 
just to try to mimic breaking. Yeah, that's what I would assume. And it's also good to note this is, I mean, if it's on your left leg, right? You have a left leg, repla- left knee replacement. That's going to be a little easier, it's a little It's going to be a lot easier to get back, especially if you're able to get off narcotics easier. I mean, you'll probably mm-hmm. be less than four weeks. Yeah, yeah. And kind of moving forward um, on some functional goals, we want full range of motion by 12 weeks, but truthfully, I mean, we want that a lot earlier. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. And for most patients, they have one that they get within as early as like three or four weeks. Like they just, they get there, whether it's full extension or flexion, flexion. and then they struggle with the opposite motion. Um, If I had to pick uh, one for people to get to first, it would be extension every day of the week. Yeah. Um, And that is because of the implications that extension has with just walking. If you are not able to get your knee fully straight, no longer are you going to be able to um, walk with efficiency because the reason why we get our knee straight as we take each step is it makes the the job of the muscles a lot easier. Like every degree that you – that uh, is away from zero, your muscles have to work significantly harder, specifically your quadriceps, to be able to keep you from collapsing. Yeah, I mean, imagine standing in one place for an hour, not moving, with your knees straight, and then compare that to trying to do that with your knees bent in a half squat position. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be dead. There's no way you could do it one way. And Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, standing straight up is by far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and then long-term goals for uh, the knee bending. Uh, 120 is, I mean, that's kind of our ultimate goal. But if a person is wanting to get into some certain activities, like if, they, if they're a big kayaker, they're probably going to need want a lot more just to make it easier yeah. getting down. People in yoga, they may want an upwards of 130. I've seen a total knee uh, get up to uh, 140. Um, wow. But it took it took a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess like another little, uh, side note there, um, kneeling on uh, the knee that doesn't feel good for a lot of people. Uh, no, no. And, and what I normally tell people with that is if it's something that's important to you, um, then it's something that you more or less, you need to just do on your own. You, yeah. you need, you need to spend, you know, a couple minutes in that position every day. You're not going to hurt anything. It's just not going to feel right. Yeah. And I would, I would recommend knee pads or something. Right. But yeah, yeah. Depending on work return to work mm-hmm. a lot of people are kneeling a lot for those laboring jobs mm-hmm. so yeah i would just recommend getting knee pads and then just like you said you just gotta do it just, just, just gotta get after it um yeah uh also uh looking at your um little uh, cpg from the oh the ohio, the ohio, state, st- the ohio state university yeah uh, they want a uh, knee flexion uh to 60 degrees 60 to 90 Six, yeah, yeah, it looks like 60 to 920. I didn't know our knee (laughs) went in a circle three times by two weeks. By two weeks, yeah, 60 to 90 by two weeks, and 100 degrees by six weeks, 120 by eight to 12. And I mean, that's I feel like that's pretty conservative, yeah. That's what we were talking about earlier. I think that's Mm -hmm. why we said what we said about it. I think it's just very this Mm -hmm. is trying to encompass everybody, right? I mean, these are the minimums, absolute minimums we would like to see. Across the board for anybody with the with the knee replacement, we we would prefer mm. one twenty. As we said, I mean, if you got one twenty by week two, that's what we want. That's like, oh, that's oh, great, fantastic. The, Let's the, move. Well, and yeah, and then the only thing you have to do is maintain that. And I think that's also um, a, a thing with uh, patients that are, they're kind of surprised about. Um, 
they'll uh, they'll get the full range of motion. Let's say it's at a healthy time, you know, like like around week six. And then I tell them, all right, you need to maintain this for a month. You need to go into this range of motion, ideally uh, three times a day, um, mm-hmm. at least at, at at least three times a day, every day for the next month, just to maintain it. Use it or lose it. Exactly. Um, kind of going forward, uh, we also want to make sure that you can mobilize in the community without an assistive device. This means walking down the streets. You don't need a walker. You don't need a cane. You're good to go. Grocery store, grocery store shopping, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, full knee extension. This includes no pain with passive overpressure. Um, it will form uh, two sets of 10 straight leg raise without quad lag, which quad lag is if, let's say you're laying down on your back, the straight leg exercise is lifting your legs uh, straight up, keeping your knees straight. Um, if you person has quad lag, it just means that the quads aren't working to keep the knee straight enough. So there's a little bend in the knee as the person lifts up. Yes, yeah, so basically it's saying if you don't have good enough quad strength, uh, to be able to keep your leg fully straight. Mm-hmm. And while it's not weight-bearing, you're not going to be able to do it weight-bearing for long distances. Oh, 100%. So, Yeah. And then uh, last one, uh, the 30 seconds of single-leg stance without pain, which um kind of interesting. Uh, sometimes that comes easy for people. Sometimes uh, just being able to hold yourself um, up for 30 seconds, um, maintain balance without tapping down, that one's a challenge for some people. Yeah. But it's it's always without pain, though, is kind of, I think, the big thing there. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'll see a lot of people be able to do it, right? But they're just, like, grimacing the whole time. And it's like, well, you're not ready to yeah. get off your assist device. And especially walk long distances, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. a fine distinction between being able to walk around your house without an assist device because you're able to furniture, mm-hmm. surf, et cetera, compared to walking around. I think the 250 feet is the technical term for Community ambulation. Well, I'm sorry, 627 feet is community ambulation. 250 feet is household distances. Man, you're so smart. I just do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there is a, um, I guess, like a final phase um, that yeah. not everyone goes through. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I'll just touch on that real quick. So yeah. in the Ohio State University clinical practice guideline for TKs, it references that there is a phase three. So phase one and phase two is up to 12 weeks, which most, a large majority of patients will cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it does have a phase three, which is ret- like things such as returning to running or dynamic activities. It specifically states that uh, all TKAs are not recommended to do any impact activities mm-hmm. without clearance from a physician. So if you want to do any of these higher impact activities, uh, it specifies to talk to your physician, get clearance, and then go directly into a phase three of physical therapy, which uh, is plyometric-based exercises, yep. as well as a full returning to running um, protocol that they have listed on the on the on the uh, CPG. So I, I don't, we don't want to get, you know, if you want to get into specifics on that, feel free to, it's an easy yeah. Google search of what we just said earlier. It was called, Yeah. Um, I can try to connect it to the sheet, uh, but I'll just have to see what it's like. I don't know how to connect to PDF on Buzzsprout, but yeah. Um, yeah. I would just recommend doing a Google search of the document. It's very, it's just very black and white. It makes it very easy to follow. And uh, yeah, it's just another thing to remember that. It's such an invasive thing, and the hardware is – it's such an ordeal if you break hardware that you really, really need physician mm. approval to write off on it. And you really, really need to make certain hit certain criteria 
mm-hmm. for s- proper strength, proper yep. uh, functioning, proper biomechanics of those limbs um, to return to these high impact, high impact activities uh, to decrease your risk of injury. 100%. Um, because undoubtedly, as a person starts getting into running, even if they were a big runner before, uh, things are not going to be right they're for not, a good man. Yeah, they're not it's, the same. And, you know, there is always that metric, too. It's used around here a lot. I haven't seen, like, any research on it. But um, in reality, to get things as good prior to uh, when all the knee pain started and person became um, less active, it takes a year after the surgery for just like everything to just to kind of normalize. Yeah. I see. Uh, we see it back when I was in athletics a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of the ACLs you'd see the, the, uh, uh, training staff and the overseeing physicians and everything, Mm -hmm. they would straight up tell you that you are not even going, you're not even going to feel remotely the same for a year. Yeah. And even then we don't, they say that it takes a full year to be quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean, especially at higher level athletics, you're going to be normal with regards to your athletic ability. Right. I yeah. Mean, and like a lot of times they won't let you take the brace off with any, so like, you know, they have those big mm-hmm. brace, big yeah. gaudy ACL braces. They won't let you take that off for a full year. And even then a lot of times they make you keep it on. Or, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a preference thing too, right? They can't make anyone do anything, but yeah, just, uh, I mean, honestly, just play it safe with that graft. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of the same here too. Uh, it just takes that much time for all the muscles to really not only have the strength, um, and range of motion, everything, it, it takes that long for the motor patterns, um, yeah. within the brain itself to normalize and become good again. And, you know, I think some people will definitely hit that a lot sooner, but I think that's a helpful metric, um, for patients who are just like, why, why is this taking so long or why isn't this going X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Um, just cause like in, in my community, uh, p- patients I see, they might be 70 or 80, but they're wanting to hike 15 miles a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. I wish no, it was. <laughs> no, not at all actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, you know, bike 30, 40 miles a day every day. Yeah. These people need that <laughs> third phase. Yeah. Um, so I think that was kind of like a lot of the big stuff regarding it. Um, I did have a couple extra notes. Um, I like to hear the notes. I like notes. Yeah. A couple extra notes on some other things, um, within it. That's, I guess like on the higher end with, um, research or I guess like on more the cutting edge, if you will. Ooh, cutting edge. You say? Yeah. The cutting edge, uh, BFR blood flow restriction training. Um, I personally have been finding it be an incredibly useful tool, not only for helping to rebuild strength a lot quicker at a much more accelerated pace, but also um, for people who are having a little bit of pain or sensitivity with work on the range of motion. If you get the dosing right with BFR, it creates an analgesic effect. People have less pain and suddenly um, I can mobilize them a little bit further. They, they're able to tolerate it a little bit better. Um, so yeah, BFR has been a pretty good thing. Um, another one, um, and I'm mostly saying this, uh, for, um, you patients out there, um, don't let anyone throw needles into you for at least 12 weeks, please, please, especially, I hate to say this, especially chiropractors. Yes. Chiropractors will throw darts in anything because they can bill it and they can have you come back in six weeks or two weeks, a week, next week. Mm -hmm. But for the love of Christ, 12 weeks. That is what yes. all research says for risk of infection following mm. any form of surgery. 
And if you are dead set on it, you want it, get your surgeon to sign off on it prior. Yeah, and you yes. and let's say you're having back pain following a knee surgery, then six weeks. Okay, yeah, yes. Yeah. You so, can needle so, the back in six weeks following a knee. So you can needle after six weeks, evidence shows you can needle a part portion of the body that is not related to your surgical limb. Yeah, so essentially that means any muscles that do not attach to the knee, they, they're a little open season after six weeks. That being said, if you have spinal surgery, I recommend 12 because your uh, spine yes. covers everything. Yeah, yeah. Your nervous system is all incorporating, all encompassing. Yeah, and if you think an infection in the knee is bad, um, imagine an infection in your spine. Yeah, that's yeah. no bueno. No bueno, don't play with that. Um, so yeah, uh, just please, please don't. Um, in 12 weeks, it is um, it is on the conservative side, but that's how you want to be with uh, in regards to infection. Yeah, do we do we need to go back and have an entire episode on uh, revisions like yeah. we basically just gave? Because yeah. it is no bueno. Uh, it is not a good time. It is not a good time. It's not a good time for us as therapists. Nope. And it's, I would argue it's far less of a good time for the patient. <laughs> far, far <laughs> less. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, I... I I think those were, um, I guess, like my two last major notes. Um, oh, no, I do have one more. I have one more. Um, this is another modality, uh, cryotherapy. Yes. Um, to very frequently, people will leave the hospital and they will, essentially, I see them for the first time. They're like, yeah, I've been icing it 24-7, just nonstop. Ah, not recommended. Mm. Not recommended. And in fact, what um, I tell patients and what I recommend is 20 minutes on at least an hour off. That seems to be general advice yeah, that works. 15, 20. Yeah. Um, if you start going much more than that and physiologically, it's a little more complicated than this. But um, your brain just goes, wow, that, that needs really cold. Uh, like really cold. I think I'm going to put more fluid there to try and warm it back up so yeah. uh, so we don't cause tissue damage. Yeah. So you can actually end up uh, kind of going against it a little bit if you ice too much. And that goes for any other um, area that you ice. Don't ice for too long. Yeah, and the Ohio State University clinic, Clinical Practice Guidelines that we've been referencing the entire time yep. states uh, five. you want to use cryotherapy, so ice the knee five times per day in the first week. And then three times per day following that for the first, I think it was six weeks. Mm -hmm. So really, in the first week, you should only be icing it five times. You shouldn't be leaving an ice pack on it with it propped all day. And we said 15 to 20 minutes, five times, that's only about an hour, a little over an hour. Exactly. So you're not going to be icing it that much. No, 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 you shouldn't. And well, and then the worst one of all, um, leaving it on while you, You when you go go to sleep, (laughs) when you go to sleep. Classic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that one's yeah, that one's a bad. And then one. I hear, oh, I woke up and I just couldn't bend the darn thing. Thing, thing was swollen. I, 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 so I just threw some more ice on there. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. It, well, and uh, should we ever be putting heat on in these no. first? Yes, thank no, you. Chuck. What about hot tubs? Hot tubs are good, right? No, Chuck. <laughs> for more than one reason, infection and the you know, yeah. Don't get yeah. wrong; they're enjoyable for non-surgical yeah. patients, but. And I will say, if a patient's having um, issues with range of motion, they've passed like the six, six weeks uh, protocol for getting into an open body like that, um, 
Yeah, I'll consider it um, for range yeah. of motion issues to help soften it. But that's if they have no swelling, and that's a big. And most patients that is definitely usually not. A, that is, yeah, yeah that's, that's usually not the case. People normally have swelling around that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, more of the story. Please, please, please talk to people that are on the conservative side and are, want the best for you because they care more about your outcomes mm-hmm. and you uh, being successful as human being, human being, rather than their pockets. Exactly. Because uh, we definitely went to the wrong setting to have uh, money. Big pockets. <laughs> filled pockets. <laughs> <Is that true? laughs> we do have pockets, though. Yeah, and they're big. But they're empty. They are... Uh, sadly. <laughs> well, part of that's the uh, financial system. But that's not our wheelhouse on this here podcast, Chuck. No, but I don't want to dive into that because I shoot. I don't know my left hand from my right hand <laughs> when it comes to that. Well, uh, I think we covered TKA in full, Taylor Boy. I think we did. Uh, we did a decent job. I think we did the subject justice. It's yes. a bi- it's a big surgery, so this is a. Uh, I feel like it was a longer episode. It's yeah, fifty five minutes here, Chuck. Man, we've been chatting for fifty five minutes. Yeah. No. Um. Uh, moving forward, we have a. This is pretty new. We have a uh, Instagram and TikTok going from our good friend Mohammed. And uh, feel free to check that out. I think we're going to try to get the link here at the bottom of the description. Um, So feel free to check that stuff out. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe. Tell us you hate us. Tell us you like us. I really don't care which. Um, But But I'd like to hear about it. I I, want to know. I would like to hear it. At the bare bare minimum, I want to know. Yeah. 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 That'd be fun. So, uh, yeah, as always, please do that. And as always, always stay active. Right? Actual PT. Always stay active. (laughs) Or no, 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 always stay actual, actual PT, PT nation. nation. <laughs> and classy while you're at it. Oh, classy? 